I've been watching a lot more movies recently, um, a lot more shows. And in doing that, I'm realizing, again, like all of the themes that I want to see and want to explore that just aren't getting explored at all. And then in doing that reminds me of like, oh, yeah, that's why that's why I'm telling my own story is because I'm, I'm frustrated with the lack of that in normal media, or at least the media that I consume. They always say that the best, uh, the best stories come out of writing or storytelling for one person, and that one person is you. And that's really just what I'm doing here. I'm doing this for me. Uh, I'm doing this to explore some of these themes on my own. And maybe someday I'll finally get someone to listen to more. And hey, if you're here, thank you. I, I didn't think that you would exist. Uh, how you doing? <laughs> anyway, whatever. Um, let's recap the last chapter. A funeral was held for the people that Hala lost in the raid on the capital. We follow Vitale as he stops by and visits the prisoner in the Alaran castle and has a crisis upon maybe recognizing them. He spends some time with Allegra, who seems to be questioning Audric's choices. And then he visits Lucy and the doctor to ask him for a favor. And Vitale asks him if he could run a DNA test on the prisoner to make sure that they aren't the Ilarian princess. And Lucian, of course, agrees. We then see Naya as she is imprisoned in the Ilarian castle and gets paid a visit by some of the Atiri who basically beat Naya. Lucian comes in at the end and helps bandage Naya up and in the process takes a DNA sample. I want to give one more trigger warning for this chapter. Um, it's going to be more uh, physical abuse similar to the last chapter. Uh, I am sorry, things are getting a little dark, a little intense right now. Um, it will... This is the last one for a while. Again, the story is called Once All Has Been Lost for a reason. Just a hint at some of the themes that I want to explore. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, that should do it for this intro. Uh, let's jump in. as he usually was, blasting music over the speakers and humming to himself as he went about his work. He was cleaning up his space, doing inventory and checking stock to see what he needed to reorder or what he didn't need to reorder. It was a boring and tedious task and one he usually put off for as long as possible, but in order to do the DNA test Vitaly had requested, Lucian needed to clean up some space on his counters, and while he was putting things away and cleaning up, he may as well do the whole thing. As he compared numbers of what he had on hand and what he had expected to have, some of the numbers came up short, but considering the supplies that were missing revolved around painkillers and pills that would help speed up the healing process, Lucian shrugged it off. Assuming he must have forgotten to 
take off stock when he was either helping Naya or any of the other patients that he saw on a regular basis. The whole process went quicker than he expected, and he only almost dropped two jars as he was getting a little bit too into the music and dancing. Just just a little bit. But overall, he felt good having the task finally done and was getting out the equipment for the DNA test. He set out the centrifuge, the vials, the pipette, and turned around to get the blood sample and then caught motion out of the corner of his eye as the doors to his lab slid shut. And he stopped mid-step looking around when he saw Audric coming in towards him. Oh, uh, hello. It's good to see you here, Uh, Lucian said as he uh, quickly lowered the volume on the music. You don't come around these parts often. How How are you doing? Audric gave a warm and formal smile in return. It is good to see you too, Dr. DePetro. You look as busy as always. Lucian dismissively waved a hand. Oh, you know, always got some project or side project going on, but I, I always have time for you. And and especially because I know you're always so busy these days. I'm uh, curious what brings you in today. I hope you're not uh, feeling sick or anything. Audric chuckled and shook his head. <laughs> no, I am feeling just fine. Thank you. I actually came in hoping that you could do something for me. Well, more so for Malvolia. Lucien nodded vigorously. Uh, an- anything. Um, I'm, I'm always happy to help. And Audric smiled at the response. That's what I was hoping to hear. Now, she has this silly notion in her head that the prisoner we're keeping downstairs looks and sounds a lot like her older sister. And I've told her before that that's just a ridiculous notion that I myself was there and watched the explosion that took their lives. But of course, once you see something, it is hard to get out of your head. So she requested that you run a DNA test just just to make sure, just to remove all doubt. And since I know you're always busy with something going on, I thought I'd save you a little bit of time and already prepared a blood sample for you. Audric said and pulled a small vial out of his coat pocket. Oh, that's really funny. Lucian started as he took the sample from Audric's hand because Vitaly came in the other day asking for the exact same thing. Lucian fingered the vial, looking it over and decided not to tell Audric that he had already gotten his own sample. The man was busy, and that he had decided to do something generous like this, Lucian couldn't take it in his heart to tell Audric it was a wasted effort. I I really appreciate you going out and uh, getting the sample for me. I I should have results to you uh, tomorrow, for sure. But Audric's head was cocked and his brow furrowed. I'm sorry, you said... Vitaly had also requested a DNA test be performed. And Lucian looked up, meeting Audric's gaze, not entirely sure how to interpret the question. So he just replied earnestly. Uh, yeah, he, he came by yesterday. They basically said the same thing you did. I'm, I'm not sure what it is. I don't see the resemblance personally. But don't worry, you have nothing to be afraid of. This person denies all association or claims that they're, you know, Oriana, so that shouldn't be a problem. Audric nodded once curtly in response. Yes, thank you for your time. 
Dr. DePetro, but I should be leaving now. Otter gave a quick wave goodbye and quickly turned, striding out the door. And Lucian turned back to his work, holding the vial that Audric had handed him, and going to the other counter where the blood sample that Lucian himself took was sitting. And while there wasn't really any need to run both samples, something in the back of his mind told him that he should go ahead and pull samples from both. The centrifuge had to be balanced after all, and two samples would be just as good as one sample balanced with water on the other side. So Lucene prepared both blood samples, processing them, separating them out, and making sure there was no cross-contamination. The music was still turned down, but he hummed to himself. As he set about his work, focusing on the task before him, he spun out the samples as they vibrated in the centrifuge, and then went about the finishing steps, piping out the extracted liquid. As he waited for the results, he started putting away materials and supplies that he had used. When he came back, he glanced over the tray to check on the progress, see if it was done, and stopped in his tracks. Because the two results were different between the sample that Lucien had taken and the sample that Audric had provided. They were from two different people, completely, which meant that Audric had lied. He didn't get his blood sample from the prisoner, he got it from somewhere else. And if he got it from somewhere else, that meant he didn't want Lucian running a DNA test on the prisoner themselves. And if Audric didn't want Lucian running a DNA sample on the prisoner, then Audric must know what those results would show. Lucian's hands flew into action, going to his computer, pulling up past records of the royal family of Alaria, and reaching for the results from the DNA tests he had run. He had knocked over a couple of cups that still laid on the counter in the process, but he didn't have time to worry about that. Lucian's hand shook as he reached for Oriana's file and pulled it open, laying out her DNA test results. And he held close the DNA test results he had gotten that day and did a cursory glance, eyeballing the chromosomes and checking, and every single one matched. Lucian took a deep, shaking breath. There had to have been a mistake. That, that, how? But as he looked over his equipment and repeated the steps in his mind, there wasn't a way for cross-contamination to happen, not like this. And it couldn't just be a mistake of the machinery because Vitaly and Malvolia had seen the resemblance and neither of them could get the thought out of their minds that the prisoner was Oriana. There was no mistaking it. Lucine sat back in his chair, staring off into the distance, taking slow, deliberate, but still shaky breaths as he had to rethink everything and figure out what was he going to do with this information. palace, there was a lot to keep up with, especially now that Keon had far more responsibilities than he's ever had, and he didn't even have Inaya 
or Naya to help him with them. Thankfully, though, Selene was still around and was providing him help and support wherever she could, but he was stuck in meeting after meeting with the other leading families of Hala, and the conversations felt like they all were going the same. I'm sorry, but you can't expect us to do nothing after our capital city, our home, was attacked. After the leaders of our country, your parents, Kian, were killed. Not to mention your sister, who's now permanently disabled because of it. Jade Westby, one of the other leading families, spoke up very sharply and curtly, her wife and many of the others nodding beside her. Myron Ariseth spoke up next. If we don't show them a strong display of power, they're just going to walk right in and try to do the same thing all over again. We have to show them that our country is strong and will not tolerate things like this. Again, more heads nodded along. Kian held up his hands in response, trying to calm them down a little bit, but it never really worked. Guys, I, I hear you. I, I, I know that um, it, it wasn't great what happened. It, it was um, a tragedy, but we can't rush into action, especially when we don't know if this was just an isolated attack. And I, I don't think we should punish everyone that's a part of the Etsu community for the actions of what is probably just a small minority group. Myron spoke up again. And if we don't do something, then they're just going to act up again. They're going to get more people on their side and they're going to do the same thing all over again. Y- yes, I hear you, Kian replied. But if if we punish the wrong group of people, then they could turn more people against us and make more people ally with them. I, I, I don't think retaliation is the right way to go here. So you think we should just sit around and do nothing and let them walk all over us? I'm sorry, Kian, but you are young and inexperienced here, and I don't think... That is the best course of action here, Jade replied, waving her hands to the people seated around her. We we already captured a lot of the people who were responsible, and I I think, I don't know, what what would it hurt to listen to them? Kian asked very hesitantly, knowing that he would probably be called naive and young again for thinking that talking it out could be a solution. And as expected, many voices shot up around the table, murmuring with their disagreement. A deer spare then stood up, quieting all of the voices before they spoke very gently. I think it may be best if we close the borders to everybody. Well, it has been a long-standing tradition of good faith to keep the borders open to any who want to join or leave the Etsu communities. This show of aggression is not something we can turn a blind eye to. As you are wishing, Kian is not going to war or showing any aggression or retaliation to the Atsu people. But as Westby and Aeroseth were saying, it's not letting them go without any sort of punishment. There are a lot more murmurs coming up around the table. These ones more affirming uh, in positive acknowledgement. But Kian was still hesitating at the idea. I, I don't know that closing the border... To them is a good option. I, I I don't I don't I don't know. Uh, let let's just think about it and and we can talk more about this t- 
tomorrow. Okay, we're we're at the end of our meeting time anyway. Kian said, trying to disband the meeting and buy himself some time to mull over what everyone was saying. Jade Westby spoke up. Very well, Kian, we can close the book, so to say, for today. But you can't keep avoiding your problems. This country is yours to lead now. And if you don't step up, someone else will have to. Kian pursed his lips in a grave smile and nodded. And she turned her nose up at him, turning away quickly and helping her wife get up out of her seat as they strode out the room and the other families that led the country followed. Kian was the last one in the room, pinching the bridge of his nose and letting out a big sigh of frustration. Eshan, who stood on guard at the back of the room, came forward and clapped a hand to Keon's back. Uh, you really put up a good show there, he said, and Keon shrugged him off. Not now. I, I, I don't. I, I can't, Keon said dismissively. Eshan had been trying to regain their old familiar rapport, but Keon wasn't really having much of it. He knew that at some point he was going to have to tell Eshan of the mistake he made, but it was uncomfortable and... Kian did not know how. Kian wordlessly strode out of the room and started making his way towards the library where he found himself going a lot these days, where he knew he could count on Selene to have something to say or something to get his mind off of things. Kian and Ashan entered the library and quickly found Selene seated at her desk with her feet on the table and her tablet on her lap, busy as always working on something. She looked up and saw the two of them approaching, tearing off her tablet, bringing her feet down and spinning her chair in a circle before hopping down and going to greet them. Hey, welcome, she said brightly, before noticing the grim and tired expression on Kian's face, one that wasn't too uncommon these days. And Selene tipped her head. Another rough meeting, huh? Keon nodded, running his hand through his hair. <laughs> yeah, you could. You could say that. They keep wanting to retaliate or escalate things, and I keep telling them that that's a bad idea, and I don't think we should, and they just keep dismissing me as being young and naive, and <sighs> we're just not getting anywhere. Selene looked down, biting her lip in frustration. <sighs> that's... That really sucks. I, I wish I could do more to help you, but I, I I know nothing about that kind of thing. But Keon looked up, an idea crossing his mind. But you you grew up in one of the Etsu communities, right? Maybe you could help me understand it a little bit better. They're wanting to close the borders, and I, I just I don't I don't think that's a good idea. But I, like, I, I don't know how to explain why that's a bad idea. I just, I, I think learning more about it w would help, I, I think. Soleil nodded in response to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I can give you insight to the community I grew up in at the very least. And, and the things that I learned from my grandma there. Yeah, let's, let's go find somewhere cozy to sit down. Selene said, motioning them further into the library and guiding the two of them to a nice corner by a window that had the evening sun shining in. So, 
you grew up with your grandma, you said? Yeah, that was uh, my grandma on my mom's side. She she basically dropped me off there and then left to do wh- whatever it was that she wanted to do. Uh, she would visit sometimes, though. Uh, but that is uh, not what we're here to talk about today. I I grew up in the Aronis community, which is the one that my grandma uh, led. And that's, you know, where, where I get my name, you know, Selene Aronis. Um, anyway, we we were uh, focused on craftsmanship. And you know what? Actually, I, I should I should probably start a little bit sooner and explain, like, why there are different communities. So the, the Etsu territory, they, they broke off from both Hala and Alaria. And they're, they're different groups of people that basically didn't like different aspects of those cultures or uh countries and and most of them didn't like aspects of like modern technology and culture and thought that it like brought us back and were worse as a civilization and in some ways they were right in some ways maybe misguided because there are some people who thought modern medicine was like bad for us and would make us sick or like i don't know putting tracking information in our blood i don't i don't really understand it either um but some of them left for that reason uh some of them were waiting for the next apocalypse and wanted to build their own society of the strongest and those who would survive which is where we get groups like antal's community uh which is uh they're they're not great most of us don't like their group at all but those are just the worst um most of us are just people that didn't feel like we fit in most of us just wanted to go back to a time that wasn't so bogged down by consumerism or the grind of everyday work so people left where they could be craftsmen or farmers or seamstresses and make their own community and living that way and live off the land and be more sustainable and healthy and self-sufficient. And so with every community in the Etsu territory, you're going to get different mixes of people with different values. Um, like like the people I grew up with, the Aronas, um, we were okay with using modern medicine to help people and heal them. And if anyone fell sick in a way that we couldn't help, we would bring them back to Hala. But for the most part, we lived off the land. My my grandma raised sheep and she would she would make wool clothing by herself. And I would help her dye them and pick all kinds of berries and bark and everything to help with that process. Our neighbors had a whole mushroom farm where they would grow all kinds of mushrooms and they're just really the best. Can't really match it anywhere here. And I miss them a lot. Uh, but that's... <laughs> Not not the story you're looking for. Selene paused finally, thinking over memories of her childhood and growing up, her eyes gazing out the window as if seeing the lands beyond it, where there were more trees and grass and shorter buildings and brighter, bluer skies. Where I grew up, it was really just a place where anyone could show up and they would be given a home and a fresh start, and where everyone 
contributed to the community and making it a safe and welcoming place for everyone. But that that's my experience. Kion sat thoughtfully with the information that Selena had shared. If if we were to close the borders to the Etsu territory, what would that mean for you guys? Selene let out a heavy sigh. Oh, uh, that would be real bad news, I, I tell you that. Uh, so when, when the territory was, like, officially granted territoryhood, like, like when both Ilaria and, and Hala, and of course Canon to the north, all donated their territory to this idea, we were already well-established, and we had already kind of been practicing a no-border-serve idea. And, and with that in mind, these three countries agreed to keep their borders open to us, especially because we need them in a way. Like I said, my, my family would send people back to Hala if anyone became sick. So without that option, a lot more people would probably die. We also do rely on some trade, not a ton, but like a little bit, because we just can't make everything. We're pretty small communities that aren't really able to be completely self-sufficient. So if Hala closed their borders, I I worry that it would mean that Alaria and Kanan also end up closing their borders. And with all of their borders closed, I don't know how long any of the Atsu communities would survive. But I guess if only Hala closed their borders and Alaria and Kanan remained open, it wouldn't be as bad. But again, it's always been tradition for like... I mean, it, it goes both ways. It's not just that we're relying on other countries for help. It's also that people who are in those countries can leave and start a new life if they want to. And so if the borders are closed, I'm assuming they're going to be closed both ways. And that means that people who don't want to be in Hala are going to be trapped there living a life that they don't want to live. And, and that's the same for the people of the Etsu communities. Not everyone who grows up there wants to stay there. Not everyone who goes to live there wants to stay there either. And I don't know. If, if, if I never had the chance to leave, I don't. Selene trailed off, having a hard time gathering her words. And Kian thoughtfully asked, Why, why did you leave, Selene? What, what brought you back to Hala? Uh, <laughs> that's uh, kind of a long story. Selene replied, giving a grimace, and Kian put up a hand. You, you don't, you don't have to explain it if you don't want to. But Sol shook her head. No, it, it's, it's okay. Uh, so I, I kind of mentioned my mom, uh, coming and going a lot when I was a kid. So I asked her if I could come with her one of these times, and she let me. We came back to Hala, where I got to meet. My dad's side of the family. I didn't get to meet my dad, though. Uh, he didn't really want to meet me. Uh, <laughs> but I got to meet my grandpa, who worked here before me. And when I saw this library, I I just fell in love with it. And I just, I just wanted to stay here every day working with my grandpa. And then when he passed away, I just 
took over his role. And I've just been here ever since. Celine fidgeted with the skirt fabric that laid across her lap, and Kian impulsively asked, do, do you miss living in the Etsu territory? Celine looked thoughtfully out the window before replying, Well, sometimes. I would love to visit them again, but there's a lot going on and a lot of things that need me here. And Selene gave a wary glance to Eshan, who sat beside Kian, only vaguely paying attention. But I don't regret coming and living here. I, I'm, I'm really glad for it. I'm really glad to have you here, too. Kian replied a little bit hesitantly. And, and thank you for sharing so much about your home. It, it really means a lot. N no matter what happens... I'm, I will make sure that they're not going to close the borders or declare any kind of attack on the Yetzu territory. You, you guys, they don't deserve that. I'm especially... But Keon cut himself off. He wanted to say that especially since Audric is holding the cards and forcing everyone's hands. But he was so wary of mentioning Audric or Naya around Eshan, so he just closed his mouth. And Selene nodded, understanding the things that Keon wasn't saying. If Hala was to go to war, or send any kind of force towards the Etsu communities, they would crumble. They're not they're not a united country like a lot of people think they are. And they don't really keep weapons, at least not military grade ones. It's just it's just a safe place for people to go, and that kind of thing needs to be preserved and protected, not raised or destroyed. Selene went back to looking out the window. If, if we ever get some free time, we should go visit it together. You, you, can, you can see what it's like for yourself, and I don't know, maybe, maybe taking some of the other people on the, on the Committee of Leading Families and maybe... Maybe it'll change some of their minds, too. Kian nodded and smiled warmly at the idea. I, I would really like that. I'll try mentioning that next time. I doubt they'll go for it, but maybe that'll help. Kian, Eshan, and Selene stayed in the library a little bit longer, watching as the sun sank lower and lower in the sky, the golden light shining through the windows and the long shadows stretching across the library floors. Selene spent more time reminiscing about her time growing up with her grandma, thinking about the games that she would play with the other kids, and recounting the stories that they would tell each other around the campfires at night. Kian in turn talked about some of their childhood adventures and stories, and though the days had been long and stressful since getting back to the palace, these moments with Selene in the library were always something that he looked forward to. regular practice session with the other Atyrian guards, keeping up on their exercises and training and 
making sure everyone was in tip-top shape. He was running through training drills with Ila Regis, the Delphinus. The way she moved was always graceful and flowing, her long limbs lending to a fluidity that no one else on the team could match, and she was definitely among the kinder of the Aterians, always pushing her teammates to be better and stronger and finding ways that everyone could improve, but in very considerate and kind ways, pointing out their strengths. And Vitaly had always felt that she would have made a great leader for the team, but of course that position had gone to Audric instead. And of course Audric was a great leader, even though he wasn't often at practice himself, but that's because he was busy doing other things, and especially now that he was helping Malvolia run the country. Besides, practice tend to go a little bit smoother whenever Audric wasn't there. At least for Vitale, he felt himself a little bit more at ease, a little bit of the pressure off his shoulders. But as Vitale was running through his drills with Rigas, he saw Audric come into the room during the back half of the practice session. And as Audric strode in and sat down on the benches in the front of the room, he made eye contact with Vitale. And the cold seriousness in Audric's look made Vitale freeze for the slightest of moments. And that opening was all that Regis needed as she knocked Vitale off his feet. And she bent forward laughing, holding out a hand to help him back up. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't realize something else has caught your attention, but let this be a reminder that you can't let yourself get distracted. And Vitale nodded, smiling at her. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you. Vitaly and Regas started to get in position to restart their drills, but there's a clapping at the front of the room as Audric had stood up and started moving towards the rest of them. Well done, good job, everybody, Audric started as everyone paused their drills and started looking towards him. Very impressed with what everyone has been doing. You're all doing a great job. I know everyone has been working hard these last few weeks. So I'm going to send a few of you home early as a thank you so you can get some rest and do something fun with your time. Cardoni, DeRose, Ansel, and Rigas, get on out of here. You've been doing a great job, Audric said with a smile on his face. Rigas smiled upon hearing her name and she turned back to Vitale, outstretching a hand, and Vitale took it, shaking it firmly. You did a good job too. Hang in there, she said, shaking his hand before walking off to the front of the room and grabbing her things and leaving with the others. As soon as those four had all left the room and shut the door, Audric looked back to Vitale, the smile gone from his face. Akila, a word. Vitale looked to the rest of the room before moving forward and, and saw who he was left with, his heart sinking in his chest. He stepped forward next to Audric, who clapped a hand onto Vitaly's back, guiding him to the front of the room as he spoke with a low voice. So, I spoke with the Petro today, and I learned a little something. The muscles in Vitaly's back stiffened, and when they got to the front of the room, Audric let go of Vitaly and stepped around to his front. I assume you know what I'm talking about. Audric said as Vitale avoided making eye contact, biting the inside of his cheek, knowing what was coming. 
Now I don't ask much of you, Akela, but I do ask that you trust me, your leader, your superior, and I trust you to not go behind my back and second-guess or question my decisions. Audric leaned in closer to Vitale. And here I find that you're asking our doctor to waste his precious time because of a silly little thought puts across your stupid little head instead of trusting me and doing the right thing and following your orders. Audric stepped back, his tone suddenly lighter. Also, two mistakes like this in such a short time. And here I thought you were doing better, but I think you might need a little bit more incentive. How's your sister doing? Audric asked, and Vitaly quickly lifted his head up, finally meeting Audric's gaze and seeing the coldness that lurked inside him. But Audric continued, didn't she open up a jewelry store recently? How's that going? And Vitaly shook his head cautiously. Why are you asking? Audric shrugged his shoulders with a half smile on his face. No reason, that's just an exciting thing. I would hate for something to get in the way of her dreams. Vitaly's eyes narrowed, and Audric came closer again, standing next to Vitaly and once more clapping his hand to Vitaly's back. Anyway, you only have about 30 minutes left in here, Audric said, calling to the rest of the people in the room. So, make it quick. I have other meetings that I need to attend to. Audric said, giving a short wave and strolling out of the room. Vitaly looked up to see Vale Ryan's Guillemina Savas, and of course, Mavis LaRue coming towards him, all stretching and shaking out their arms. Audric only brought out Mavis when he was extra mad, and her with Guillemina made for a particularly bad combo with LaRue's small, fast slashing, combining with Savas's unrelenting force and strength. Vitaly could also see how it would pair with Ryan's, and how his style was more dodgy and quick, probably using up most of Vitaly's energy and attention, leaving openings for the other two to get in. LaRue smiled at him, a menacing, snarky look on her face. It's been a while since we've been able to have this much fun. First the prisoner, now the pixie. It's just so generous of Audric to give us a little treat like this. Vitaly let out a heavy breath, already seeing how this would begin and end, but he was treating it like a trainee session, just like any other. He knew that going down quickly meant that it would end sooner, but he couldn't let himself do that. He made himself stand. He made himself fight back and move, and dodge, and stay up, to stand his ground, to try, and give it his all, even though with three people coming from different sides, it quickly became too much. Even though LaRue came in with her knives, slashing, cutting, even though Savas pushed forward, steadily, continually, relentlessly, punching, kicking, moving, and even as Ryan's bobbed in and out, deflecting Vitale's blows, gracefully dodging out of the way, and making one final sweep before Vitale fell, collapsing to his knees, holding for just a moment to breathe, but there wasn't time for that. 
because Savas was unrelenting, and she knocked him down further. And though Ryan stood back, getting bored, LaRue wasn't quite done with her knives, and she made for one slash, swiping across Vitaly's jawline. But Ryan's moved in, grabbing her hand after the motion. You know we're not supposed to leave any visible marks, he said, but LaRue wrenched her arm out of his hand. Whatever, we're just having some fun. Like I care. But Savas also reached out a hand to LaRue. We're done here, LaRue. We've done enough. And reluctantly, LaRue stood up, giving Vitaly one last kick to the side as she stepped back. Fine. Whatever. She waved a hand as the three of them started to make their way out of the room. You have ten minutes before the next class comes in. Better get yourself up off the ground before that. Vitaly laid curled up in a ball on the ground. His eyes were squeezed shut because when they were open, he felt faint and dizzy, blackness spotting in his vision. But he couldn't let himself pass out, not yet at least. So he gritted his teeth and rolled from his side to his knees, his arms holding him up, but his breaths heavy and panting at the effort, his arms shaking, but he gritted his teeth harder forcing himself to put one foot in front of him and slowly, slowly bring himself to his feet. He swayed for a moment and opened his eyes wide, forcing his breathing to slow down, to calm down just a little bit. You could feel blood trickling down his ankle as he stood and down his neck. Every breath hurt and he just stood there for a moment, waiting for the spikes of pain to settle before moving forward again. But the pain didn't go away. It just settled into a static background noise. And that was going to have to be good enough as Vitaly willed his feet forward. Every single step, another spike piercing through him. And he made it to the front of the room, where he leaned his head against the wall, breathing shallow, standing over his practice bag. Drip, drip. Blood fell from his chin. It was a long walk back to his room and he didn't want anyone to see the Pyxis in this shape. So still leaning his head against the wall, he reached down and grabbed a hooded jacket out of his bag, wincing in pain as he stretched out an arm through the sleeve, pulled it around, and pushed his arm through the other sleeve. He zipped it up and pulled the hood up, knowing that it wouldn't be too long before stains started blossoming on it, but that was a distant thought, as he was just focusing on the next step. Whatever next step was in front of him, he grabbed the strap of his duffel bag and let out a heavy breath, lifting his head from the wall and pulling the strap over his shoulder. Gritting his teeth as he straightened up and the weight fell on him, he nearly fell over from the weight and the pain, but held a hand against the cool wall to steady himself, closing his eyes and taking a moment to breathe again. He just had to get back to his room, one foot in front of the other. That's all he had to do. So he opened his eyes again, took a deep breath, opened the door, and started walking out. He did his best to move without any limp or affectation in his gait. He did his best to carry himself tall and strong like he normally would, letting no one see any pain or weakness. His vision blurred in and out. He saw phases pass of the next class, and he might have nodded a greeting to Allegra, but... He couldn't see and he couldn't remember. It was just one foot in front of the other. One step, 
then the next, and do that again and again, until eventually he found himself at the doors of his room, where he fumbled for the card to scan it open, where he brought himself to the door, and as it shut behind him, staggered forward, the duffel bag falling from his shoulder with a loud thump, and his knees finally giving out as he fell to the floor with it. chapter (laughs) um hey thanks for making it this far i am sorry for putting everybody through so much pain but that is what i must do as an author and storyteller as always in these credits i want to give a shout out to louis zong for his music he's a very incredibly talented guy so go check him out on bandcamp um, and go give him a follow on Twitter at Everyday Louie, I think. I did not look up his username. You can find me and my art on Instagram and Twitter at LK underscore draws. And of course, if you feel so inclined to, you can drop a rating or a view or subscription to get notified whenever I post another chapter because we all know I'm doing this with no schedule at all whatsoever. Just whenever I feel the winds of change. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.